All right, folks, the questions are in. Many questions, because for any of you that follow us on Instagram, you know that Katie and I have been doing a Q&A every Monday, and we respond to a lot of the questions there on Instagram, but some of the questions we've decided to save for a podcast episode, and those and that's what we're doing. We're going to answer some of those questions. Yes, there are some questions that we just avoided altogether, and we're saving those for like a long, long podcast because we feel like we need a really good explanation for our answers. But today, we're going to be just digging into uh, some questions that we are excited to answer, that we thought were fun, and that were meaningful. And uh, yeah, before we jump into the intro, I do, just because this is important to me, and I'm just going to say it, thank you for all the ratings and the reviews that you have left on iTunes. It means so much to Katie and I, and I cannot believe that we, I mean, we're nearing 1,000 ratings and reviews, which is unreal to me. I think that when Katie and I started this podcast, had we thought, I, I don't think we thought we'd ever make it to 100, or I mean to 100, no, no, to 1,000 ratings and reviews, uh, yet we are approaching it. So thank you so much. And if you haven't left a rating or a review and you want to help us actually get to a thousand ratings and reviews then we would love it if you went over to itunes and hit one of the stars preferably the fifth star and if you want to take the time to leave a review we love that as well anyways let's get rolling the now that we're a family podcast. okay so i wrote some of these questions down and there's just a few of them that we're going to answer here on the podcast today. Uh, but Elisha, how do you approach or how would you encourage someone to approach taking a Sabbath for their family when they've never taken one before? You know, it's interesting because I was, you really initiated the Sabbath for our family, but I've been uh, listening, yeah, listening to an audio book um, that I might talk more about on another episode. That what what <laughs> audio book are you listen? Uh, I forget what it's called. I can look it up here. But it's talking about the importance of the men initiating, of the men as leaders of the home initiating the Sabbath in the home, and to not have it be to not have the statement that a woman's work is never finished, to not have that statement be true in your home, but to say no, there is a time where my wife rests, where our family rests, where we restart. And so it's funny that you asked that question because literally today, that's what one of the chapters was about. And, uh, I cannot say that that's what I did. Like I, you initiated the Sabbath, you facilitated the Sabbath and that you are the one that really, I think, sacrificed on your end first on your schedule and around your routine to really make sure we had a safe and protected 24 hour period that was free of work and that required a lot more and still does, you know, proactive work on your part. And then I, and I don't think I was ever opposed to it. I hope I didn't seem that way, but I definitely was not the initiator in it. Um, and so, I, don't, I mean, I feel like you're, you're the one that's far more qualified to answer that question than I am, I feel like, because you've done no. it in our home. That's funny. I, I That's funny that you, that you <clears throat> sorry, I have like a dry, dry cough that I've had for like, I don't know, three mm. weeks. So sorry, guys. Um, but I feel like you, I just think it's funny that you read a, a book on that or a chapter on that. Yeah, I was actually kind of disappointed when I, when I read that chapter or listened to it because I was like, dang it, I could have like gotten credit for this. I feel like, I feel like if I would have read this book after having initiated Sabbath, that would have been, you know, props for me 
I would have felt good about myself, but instead I missed out on that opportunity. Well, you know, honestly, I would kind of disagree with the book there because I think that sometimes one spouse is feeling something more than the other. And it's not necessarily like it's not like the guy has to initiate. It's not a biblical concept. I mean, maybe from being the leader of the home, you know. Yeah, I guess. But I would just say, like, I don't think it's bad sometimes if the wife feels like, Hey, you know, like I noticed the lack of rest first. Yes. And so sometimes like you're going to be the one to notice the lack of rest first. And what I did is I went to you and I was like, Hey, I'm feeling this lack of rest. These are some ideas that I have that I've Um, been looking into. Yeah. And I just like with anything when it comes, I mean, this is a whole, like, I feel like roles conversation because (laughs) with anything like that, that comes up in a marriage, I think, I mean, yeah, you've done such a gracious job of, you know, initiating might be more too much of an action, actionable word, but you've, you know, um, encouraged or you've, you know, persuaded even me to make some lifestyle changes for our family because you have the well-being of our family at, at you know, in your heart and on your mind. Yeah. I love the concept where it's just like, yeah, if the guy can feel the need first, cause he's like that in tune mm. and initiate, do I think that's ideal? Yes. Do I think it's always, wow, sorry. I'm just like a kid playing with my mic cord over here. Do I think that that practically and like in practice is always going to happen? No. And I don't think it's like at a detriment to the family, hmm. but I think it's cool if he can initiate, like anything you've initiated has blessed our home. Yes. You know, so yeah. I think it's fantastic, but I don't think that, I don't want wives out there, I guess, to feel bad if maybe you have something that you think would be helpful to your home and you feel like I'm just going to sit around and wait for him to notice. That could lead, I think, to a lot of bitterness, potentially, yeah. if say he's just like never going to notice. Yeah, and maybe another example would be like it, yes should a should the man initiate the bible being read in the home on a regular basis absolutely but if the bible's not being read if he's not doing it there i don't think there's anything wrong with you reading the bible you know to the children and obviously for yourself and encouraging me to do that as well um, yeah i mean like i think it, the best way to encourage is just to do it hmm you know, more yeah. than like, hey, could you read your Bible more? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I think I would be weirded out if you came and told that to me. Yeah. I think I'm most inspired to read my Bible when I see you doing it. Yeah, and, and likewise with you. And so I, that probably like falls into that, the, what is it, the quiet conduct of the of the wife. <laughs> the wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's always, the, it's always the understated messages that are the most powerful, right? Like yeah. in movies or stuff like that. It's always like the undercurrent. Yes. Um, that really gets stuff done more than the, than the in-your-face propaganda. Yeah, that like leaves a lasting impression. Yeah, because the yeah. stuff that's a lot more on the nose or like you said, propaganda, it's like all your defenses go up. Yeah. And you're like, wait a second. It, do I believe this? Do I not believe this? Um, they're wrong. I, this, this disagrees with this concept that I have or with this philosophy. Like your, yeah, your guards are up and this happens all the time in the home too. I think if you address something head on like that and I get defensive, it can't, it's not quite as fruitful as, um, like you said, if you got a little bit more covert. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Like I do think women, like the negative side of this is manipulation, but I think women, are more manipulative uh, naturally. That can be more like sin nature type stuff. But I do think the tact and that can be the helpful side of it 
And we also have the potential to be subtle and tactful in a positive way. So yeah, it's I a flip side of a coin. That, but. That's really well said, Katie, because I do think that, um, yeah, the, no man ever likes feeling manipulated, I don't think. And it feels very dishonoring and disrespectful. Um, and, and of course, we don't like that. Uh, yeah, no human really likes being manipulated. But that's really, I think you are right that maybe it is part of like a woman's you know, nature and part of the fall to be more prone to manipulation. But a good side of that trait or skill set, maybe even, is that you can have tact and that you can be strategic um, and you can be thoughtful in trying to persuade your husband. Yeah, you can have a lot of influence yes. in a subtle way. Yes. Uh, in a healthy way, too. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. So. I don't know if we answered the question. <laughs> no, probably not. Uh, how would I approach taking a Sabbath uh, when we never done it before? Well, I think it helped me to see how other people take a Sabbath. Um, and I watched a YouTube video actually on a Jewish family doing their Shabbat Shalom. And I listened to a podcast that Jeremy Pryor's daughters did. I wish I had it. We can maybe fi- uh, find that and link it. I'll make a note to find that podcast. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Is it hard to find? <laughs> I think it might be hard to find. Wow. I found it through like several links. Okay. You know what I mean? Um, I was I was listening to another podcast and I heard it mentioned and then I followed that link and okay. um but okay so we did a video on how we do it in our home and that's in the top five Tuesday email. Uh can you maybe send that out in this week's top five Tuesday email? That same video? Yeah, just a link to the videos that we've recorded for Oh, top you're five right, because that's a that's a hidden page that you can't really access unless you're a subscriber of the top, the five, top Tuesday five Tuesday email, which goes out every Tuesday. So uh, there's that. And then I would say that like helped give me, I guess, a vision for what it could be for our family because you need to kind of have a vision of what are you picturing. And then you also need to have a big why anytime you're going to do something. Like why do you need this rest? We were so burnt out and we knew we needed this rest. And also we felt very convicted that the Lord tells us to take rest and to make time for rest and to not just be on this churn and burn wheel all the time. Mm. And so both those things made it possible for us to do what needed to be done to have a Sabbath, which is like Elisha said, it's a lot of work to have a Sabbath, have a Sabbath. And it's gotten easier and easier and easier. But almost every week, I still think, oh, I don't know if we could do that tonight. Hmm. Almost every week. Wow. But I know the family's expecting it. And then once I get started, it's never as hard as what I thought, preparing for it. And really, it's a lot of prep work. Oh, and 100% done by you. Well, yeah, but you sometimes go to the grocery store for me, which is super important. Let's go. (laughs) (laughs) But honestly, I also benefit the most from the rest because the house comes to a complete stop. So I'm not doing all the housework that I usually do. I'm not doing laundry. I'm not making meals. I'm not doing all the stuff that I do all the other six days of the week. So yeah, I put in the most work to get ready for the Sabbath, but also I think I get the most rest out of it. And I don't know if you, if you don't have a Sabbath, how else does a homemaker ever have a rest day? Hmm. You really don't unless you prep for it. And so, um, I actually, yeah, that's on my list of videos I would love to make is showing how I prep for a Sabbath. I think that would be a fun thing to do. So. Yeah, when you put it like that, that is so, it is like so crucial for a, for a homemaker 
because the, that work would would never that work does never does not ever end unless you put in that prep day, like what you do to create the create the space to create the the rest. Yeah. And so getting your whole family on board might come slowly. I don't think Elisha was as on board. Like he didn't have the same vision I had when we started. Uh, But like when I went out and bought our Sabbath dishes and Mm. all that, he was supportive, but I don't think he realized how nice it was going to be. You know, I feel like after our first Sabbath, you really loved it. Oh yeah. Are you kidding me? It was a great first Sabbath. And I was like, I am all about this forevermore. Yeah. So if you sell your family on it, and you make it such an incredible experience, then Elisha's super supportive, willing. He comes home early that day and helps me. We usually have a grilled me- meal because we found that that's usually the most helpful because I can tidy up loose ends while he's out grilling dinner. So I'm not like making the main course. Uh, so there's like little tips and tricks that we found where we work together as a team. And then also the kids, the kids are really on board and they help now with. They help me set the table. They help clean up their own rooms. And they're just very supportive of, um, they love Sabbath. Yeah, they've, I feel like even with how young they are, they have caught on to the to the rhythm of the week. And so their energy changes on Friday afternoon. Yeah. Uh, when we are, you and I are kind of putting in the, la- the last push to prepare for dinner, they are not nearly as needy and they're not, I mean, it's not that they're really needy all the, the rest of the week, but yeah, they, but they know like they sense what's happening. Yes. And they, and they get behind us, um, in their own ways to really, to really prepare. I think. For, yeah. They get excited. They know we play memory that night. Mm-hmm. They know they play outside while daddy and mama visit. Uh, they know that the next day we're getting up and reading books. They know that it's going to be a more quiet and calm day. Mm-hmm. Like, and like you said, you put it so well, their energy changes. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually, people ask like, okay, how do you rest with you know, five little kids? And it's actually really easy because children pick up, they love rhythm. And mm-hmm. so when they know what to expect and they enjoy what you're presenting to them, you know, they ask to go on a family walk and it's just really, really sweet. So I guess how would, how to approach it? I would just say, give it a go and, and see how it goes and see if the day works for you mm-hmm. and see where the hiccups are. And, um, you know, you'll figure out your system for a rest day that suits your family if you want it bad enough, mm. you know? Yes. And you you just be, have to start. And you got to be willing, like you said, to adjust as time goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this one, how do you encourage your husband to be a leader, but not a dictator? <laughs> wow. <laughs> What would you say, Elisha? It sounds like this woman feels her husband is a dictator. Yeah, I mean the way she phrased it. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't know. Have you ever come to me and said something like, "Could you be like less of a dictator? Could or? you be less of a tyrant, my yeah. dear?" Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, no, I thought I didn't know. Would you have something to say to this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Different personality types because my. I feel like men gravitate towards two things and, or we can like worst case scenario, we become both of these things and that's totally passive. And we abdicate our role as leader of the home or we become tyrannical, you know, and we become a dictator and, um, and do not, you know, lead and love our wife as Christ loved the church, so to speak. I'm not so to speak. I mean, as the Bible said, we are to, um, and my personality, I think, would tend to be a lot more of the abdicator. Just kind of like, I don't like confrontation that much. 
Um, I'm much, I am strong willed and I'm heavily opinionated, but I'm also okay being heavily opinionated in my own little world, kind of like checking out. Um, and that's extremely unhealthy and it's obviously sinful and it's, yeah, it's not admirable on any level to be that passive guy that just kind of, you know, doesn't, doesn't stand up and lead his home and speak up and take charge. Uh, on the flip side, like when I'm at my worst is I act tyrannical when I lose it and I'm upset. And then I go back when, you know, once the dust settles and everybody in the house is in, trying to stay clear of me and they're giving me wide, a wide berth. Um, then I go back to my passive abdicating. And that's like the You ultimate. sound like a crazy person. Like this is not who you are. I do not even know who you're describing right now. This is like Elisha probably at his like rock bottom worst, which is not very Absolute, often. Yeah. And I mean, I'd, I'd say this has happened like a couple of times. Yeah. In and six years. So it's yeah, not what and I think yeah, of. Yeah. I mean, by tyrannical, and it's not like I'm running around yelling at people and like, losing my temper and no. throwing my phone or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but ultimately, like, it's got to be God's word that changes his heart and the Holy Spirit applying applying the word. Um, and I just, I don't know. Yeah, as selfish people, without the working of the Lord in our heart, we are going to have our the worst parts of our character of our personality traits show forth at various times and sometimes more consistently than others depending on what stage of life we are in if it's circumstantially a challenging season in life then those negative traits are going to be a lot more consistent and evident um and but you don't have to be you don't have to fall prey to those sinful traits because we are not bound by those sinful traits or by anything of sin, by sin itself anymore at all. And we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus and, um, we are dead to sin. And so regardless of, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to answer this question. Well, like, you know, you just, I feel like you just have to pray that your husband gets in the word and that, cause I don't think that I, as much as I have, I have to just continually grow every single day, but I would say, within the course of like the last nine or 10 days, I've been heavily convicted because of God's word mm -hmm. and the Holy spirit working through his word to convict me. And it's not because of necessarily anything you said, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it is. No, no, it's definitely not. It's like, so it's, I think when I think of this, two things come to mind. One is it's, uh, you're probably the worst person as a wife to encourage your husband in leadership, the way like like actively like verbally, like verbally like encourage him in leadership. That is like not going to go well. Yeah, in my experience. Yeah, your motivational speeches to me when I'm not in a good place really do not. How often do I do that? The purpose. <laughs> I don't think I've ever tried to motivate you into leadership. <laughs> oh, not into leadership. I just think just motivational speeches around anything. Like, yeah, I think I gave up on that a while ago. So <laughs> the thing is, is the way we encourage our husbands in leadership is by not questioning them, by saying, okay, by letting them figure it out, by letting um, them learn by life happening to them and not being the umbrella that's going to, or the parachute that's going to catch them if they fall, because Ultimately, they just resent that. 
and will fall into passivism. Is that how you say it? Maybe, yeah, passivity. I don't know. Passivity. I don't know. Something like that. Passiveness. Instead of just the best way to encourage, I guess, is by backing off and just saying, okay, 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 to whatever decision that they make by not making the decision for them. So if he's truly in a passive state and you'd like to encourage that leadership to blossom, I would just start forcing myself into a backseat role. And I feel like Elisha and I, early on in our marriage, I did a lot of things wrong. You guys know that if you listen to this podcast. But in times when I really saw Elisha grow in that leadership was when I started taking a backseat and forcing myself to do that. And then the other thing is like not questioning you as much. Um, I think that's something that you said was helpful. Oh, yeah, you know? and that blessed me so much when, I mean, it was challenging at first because then I was like, oh, I need to make a decision here and, you know, live with my own decision. Yeah, but I think, so I think that's really helpful if, in knowing that he's going to make mistakes and if it's new to him, he's probably going to feel really awkward in the role and it's probably not going to be like what you envisioned your husband as this like godly leader. Um, it's probably going to be kind of awkward for both of you. So letting him kind of stumble through it and not criticizing him for that. I think not criticizing his decisions is going to be big. <coughs> I feel like an old person. And then correct me if I'm wrong, Elisha, but I feel like, if he is truly being a dictator and tyrannical and bossy and uh, you feel burdened by his presence, then communicate that to him. Just go to him and be like, hey, I feel really burdened by what you're asking me to do all the time. I feel like you're kind of being tyrannical in the way you're doing this. I get that you know what you believe and how you want things done. But if you could say it in a little more gracious way to me, I think that'd be easier for me to respond that way. Um, just talk about it. Tell him where you disagree. Tell him, you know, if he's, if he's truly in this state of being dogmatic and like tyrannical, he can handle a conversation. So just, he, he's clearly okay in the leadership role and he needs to be, uh, he needs your grace in that moment. So be graceful, but go into it and be confident and just communicate where you're at. That's Mm -hmm. what I would say. I think it's two different things here to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's easy for me to say amen to that because of how good you are doing that. Like, (laughs) yeah, whatever. I mean it. (laughs) You know. know. Oh my goodness. I I mean that. I made so many mistakes. Uh, I think you've done that very well. And what's interesting too, about just the conversation around, um, leadership in the home or roles or any of those things it's, I think it's so much easier to have patience and um, give time for growth when you accept that, that that the role isn't something that you earn, it's something that you have as the husband. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, when you become a mother, you don't think, well, I'm not a very good mother, so I'm just going to lay aside my title as mother. It's like, no, I'm going to give my, I'm going to look for opportunity to grow and I'm going to look for an opportunity to, to become a better mother and hopefully over the years I'll grow in that area. And when you look at what, you know, men are not called to become the head of their wife. They're not called to earn the spot as the head of their wife. They just said, it's just said that we are, we're the head of the wife. Um, and so when, when you look at that from a man's perspective in that role, and then maybe this is just a, a, you know, from the wife's perspective and giving space and time, um, you don't look 
at the at the moment and say, well, who's better at doing what? Who's better at leading the home, or who's better at you know being the the go getter and the person that's more you know assertive in the home? You say, well, who who should be in that role? And then let's grow in those areas. Um, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I think that's really good. Okay, you want to move on to the next question? Sure. Okay. Are you careful to never get library books that portray negative behavior, or do you use them as a training example? Yeah, I mean, I'd say in general, we try to keep the negative stuff stuff out of the home, but inevitably, you come across it, and we definitely want to use those as training opportunities um, when, when a character that's, you know naughty is being portrayed as the hero and as the person that has everything go his way we want to call that out you know when there's bratty behavior in children whether it's in a book or in a show in a movie um and that's portrayed as kind of a funny humorous thing in a movie then we want to call that out uh and so we certainly don't purposefully unless i'm I'm guessing i think we're on the same page as this we we don't purposefully bring that into our home and i think we'd probably rather avoid it especially at this age, I think as they grow older, we might introduce proactively different concepts or different narratives for the sake of walking them through right and wrong and what is true and what's untrue about that. But at this age, I don't think we're necessarily proactively bringing in, you know, bad narratives or bad content and then talking them through it, but I do think we are very in tune to when it does come into our home, and then we use that as an opportunity. Yeah, I mean, our kids can't read fluently, like picture books or stuff like that, so if we get a book from the library and I'm reading it and halfway through I'm like, oh man, this is not what I thought it was, then I just close it and we aren't reading it, Mm -hmm. Um, and I take it away. I think our kids are so impressionable right now, and I think this (laughs) this is a big topic actually. But I think in our culture right now, we say, oh, well, we can't protect our kids forever, and they're going to come in contact with all these things in the future, so we just dump it on them when they're four years old, and are like, hey, have a a nice life sorting through all that. Mm -hmm. And I just think, like, you know, there's movies that are rated R for a reason, or PG-13, or whatever. There's concepts that are introduced later because you have that emotional and mental and physical bandwidth to be able to handle those better than you are when you're four or five years old. Mm -hmm. And so all our kids are five and under. And so we are strongly monitoring the narrative in our home. And we were just talking about this today, how stories are so impactful Mm -hmm. to all of us and how we're so impacted by story. It's not just like entertainment. It is, heavily impactful. Oh yeah. It's shaping our worldview and shaping our perspective of right and wrong. Um, and of, and of God, it shapes our theology, you know, and it shapes definitely our anthropology and how we view other people and ourselves. And so, uh, yeah, I want to be in tune to that. I don't want to ever think like, Oh, it's just a harmless story, you know, or it's just a, it's just entertainment or it's just that. Yeah. I think it's huge. I mean, I think it affects brothers and sisters that don't get along Mm. because you read these picture books and the brother and sister don't get along or they aren't excited for a new baby in the family or uh, they're disrespectful to their parents or their parents are the bad guys or the dad's a dummy and he can't get anything right and mom knows what's going on. We see these little benign stories played out in our culture on a large scale. And so we're just, uh, we try to monitor that monitor that as closely as possible. That said, um, with some nonfiction stuff, 
there will be things that like evolution, for example, or stuff like that will come in our home. Nonfiction. Yeah. (laughs) Good joke. Yeah. So a lot of like science books, they have this theory of evolution in there. Um, and so we talk through stuff like that, or say Greek mythology, if that's mentioned, you know, the kids know who the Greek and Roman gods are. And we talk through that. So there's, uh, Stuff like that that's real world, hey, different religion, different belief system, things like that, we'll bring into our home and talk through it because yeah. I think that's a great a great thing to do. But then there's other things that are just a no. We just aren't going there right now with our kids. Yeah, and if, yeah. What? I think that people these days too are definitely wondering about like the sex and gender stuff, I'm guessing. And anytime questions around those comes up, we just are as matter of fact with our kids as we can be about Oh no, God made you a boy. God made you a girl. And anytime we don't make a big deal. And we don't, we don't make, we don't sit down and give them the whole like breakdown as to what's going on in society, you know, and, and what's going on. Our society is so sex crazed that they think that is the most important thing you should be learning at five years old. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Like you don't, you don't need to know that. You just, yeah. you just don't, um, it's not something that you're actively involved in as a child. It shouldn't be. And so you don't need to know until later on in your life. And I mean, I'm not talking old, but like 10, 11, probably yeah. eight, nine, I mean, 10 is where we'll start I, talking to our kids. We'll see. I mean, cause at the same you're time, right. we might end up, obviously yeah. if we might end up talking sooner, depending on who we have around, what we overhear, what our kids yeah. bring to us. Every single parent, I shouldn't say every single parent, but I think most parents have every, like have every intention of being in tune as to where their kiddo is at when it comes to what they're exposed to around sex stuff. Uh, and yet I don't, it does seem like more times than not, they aren't, the parents they're are not tuned, the yeah, they're not tuned in to what the kids actually been exposed to and what they're actually talking about with their friends or what they heard, even in their, their great church, like their great Bible believing church, but something that they picked up on there um, and they're hearing conversations or just being at the park. Like, I don't know. And so I don't yeah. want to be naive because and think it that- is influenced so early to everyone else. That's going to affect the age where our children hear about stuff. Yeah. And so we definitely want to be proactive. Um, they get, they get the biblical idea of a man and a woman and marriage and all that. But, um, yeah, on the other day. Okay, so this was when I was still pregnant. And he, of course, babies are a topic of conversation. And so he's talking, like, how does the baby happen? Like, how does it get made? And I was like, I'll tell you when you're a little bit older. Um, but you need, he knew that you needed a daddy and you needed a mommy. And um, he just all of a sudden gets his, his face, like, it's all pink. And he goes, does it happen when you kiss? <laughs> I was like very close. <laughs> Anyways, it's pretty cute. So I mean, I don't know. We're yeah. definitely talking to our kids, and and we'll see. That's a big discussion right there, Elisha. Dis- I wasn't yeah. going to go into all that. Oh yeah, maybe I shouldn't have gone there. But I mean, the thing that does bring me comfort is that I think my parents were way late in that conver- in those conversations <laughs> with me. Um, really, really, really late. Yeah, uh, and a little later than and I would think be ideal. Probably with you too. You, no, you, I no? think they hit it right on the head. Oh wow! Yeah, dang, Chad and Janice, you nailed it. <laughs> I really do. Nailed I feel it. like they came in right when I was. I was 
so I was later than I'd say a kid nowadays would need to be talked to. Uh, I was 12. And I remember when they sat me down and told me the details of everything. And I was just, it was the most awkward conversation of my whole life. But I had just hit puberty and my body was changing. And so I'm just like a nervous wreck about all of it. And it was like, it was like right before I started experiencing physical changes myself mm. and right before I really started to be super curious. Yeah. Up until that point, I was pretty content knowing like a daddy and a mommy make a baby. Um, sex is between a man and a woman. That's a healthy way. I had no clue what that entailed. Um, but I felt like really prepared. Yeah. And I mean, again, I, we weren't planning on like going into this, but I do feel like the internet and smartphones in particular and social media yeah. have like it's it's negated whatever like the age was before like mm -hmm. i think there was maybe a general age that everybody could agree on like 20 years ago like oh by this time make sure you have to talk or like the average kids not exposed to this until this age but like that is i feel like thrown out the window and that there is no like average age or there's no yeah, predictability I mean, to when they're going to be exposed to stuff or when the conversations are going to be happening around them if my kid was in a in a school setting with other kids that I'm unaware of. So like our kids right now are hanging out with other kids where their parents are also delaying, um, smartphones and like it will. Yeah, definitely delaying electronics, but also just being a little slower on the conversation than I'd say, uh, the public school system is being. And so if, if my kids were interacting with kids who I didn't know their parents, I had no clue what the belief system was. There's technology. We'd be talking about sex at five. We would, because they're talking about it in schools at five. Yeah. And so you have to be, uh, maybe four years old. And then they're going to see nudity guys on phones at like probably six, seven, eight years old at school on other people's electronics. So that's just like, you need to be prepared for that. And frankly, I think that's that's like number one reason why our kids are not in an environment where we don't know where they're around electronics, where other kids are in control of those electronics. Because I don't care how good the teachers are, I don't care how good the school is, your child will be exposed to pornography and uh, homosexual pornography, probably pedophilia, all this stuff online at very, very young ages. And so you have to be prepared for that and you have to have those conversations um, earlier than you think you're going to have to. Six, seven, you need to be talking about that stuff. So for us, we don't we don't want to dump all that on our kids at, at these ages. It seems way too young. Um, and so we're going to be just probably as they ask questions at this age, um, talking to them about it because that's showing their interest and their curiosity or they're confused at what a term means or something like that. Yeah. And something that, um, well, yeah, two things. The other thing is too, like, I don't know. I, I, I think that being in tune with your child and always having an open line of communication is like, is so crucial because I don't want there to ever, you and I to ever fall into this trap of thinking, well, we checked the box. Okay. They don't have the smartphone. They don't go to public school. We know who they're hanging out with. We're good. Like that, I don't yeah, think that's yeah, how it ever, <laughs> ever works. Um, because because you just don't know what you don't know. Like mm -hmm. you, you can't have full control over what your kids are exposed to. It's like we get to control what comes into our home. We get to control the conversations we have with our kiddos. But they, they're... Well, relatives and yeah, all exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. And, and again, Katie and I love our in-laws. We love our families. 
Um, but then there just comes time, times where it's like, wow, yeah, I, I, I can't think of an example in our life, but... Well, we are really protected. The Lord just happened to protect us. Yeah. Um, but I know that that... I'm not trying to be a fear monger here, and because... Like I said, I think it's like the tighter you hold them, sometimes it just does like create there to be more opportunity for the hurt and for versus just having an open dialogue versus having constant communication. And our kids are so young. I'm like stressing out over here. <laughs> I was going to say, I feel like Elisha is verbally processing right now. Like I see his eyes twitching back and forth. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, so I guess I don't, out. I guess a we, few d- the, we talk to our kids about stuff, Elisha. We do. And as, I think as they grow and that's what I want. Leon and Lucy ask questions all the time. Exactly. And I don't want to myself to fall into the trap of being like, oh, they don't care about that. Or no, we, that we'll take care of that later. Like later, 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 later. Um, it's like, okay, I, I, I don't know. I want to pray, be prayerful about it. I want to have discernment. Just because I hear, when I hear myself say those things, I know I've heard other parents say those things when you know what their kid's looking at and you know what their kid's talking about. Yeah. And they're like, oh, my kid has no interest in the sex stuff. And you're like... Oh, the sex stuff. You're like interesting. Like I just heard them, you know, like <sighs> over here. And so I don't, I don't want to become that dad. Um, and then another thing is, is that I think both of our parents did a really great job, whether or not my parents were late. I think they were late and having a conversation with me, my dad, um, and my, who's the man. And I love the way he had the conversation with me and continued to have the conversations with me. Um, but he, it sounds like he did a really good job ongoing yes. with you. Um, through adulthood oh, talking through purity and all those things yes. and just not I couldn't be more grateful know. for him yeah. but I see now even like like you talk about Leon asking about how babies are made or how it gets there and he's embarrassed he's by kissing he's still he's like not confident it comes out of my belly button anymore so yeah exactly <laughs> uh, but I think is not making your kids feel embarrassed about questions yeah. I know that's I know that's like a commonly known thing but i do think my parents did a really good job of it um yeah and, and i'm grateful that yeah I, okay. <laughs> I know why you're smiling because <laughs> okay. i think your dad did a great job of not making you feel silly for it is that why no yeah. no i'm laughing because my mom would get so embarrassed yeah that's what i mean like, <clears throat> as older girls she was like i didn't want you guys to ever feel embarrassed we're like we did because you got like bright red and so like uncomfortable that it made us uncomfortable asking you anything my dad was really chill with stuff he was the one who ended up he had all the conversations with us my mom would be there um and then I feel like all my younger sisters ended up going more to us girls, you know, cause they had older sisters at that point. So we could kind of like walk them through the ropes of stuff. Um, and mommy, if you're listening to this, just know you did great in all other areas. It's okay. You got a little squirmy <laughs> with our questions. <laughs> oh boy. I, yeah, this, that was not what we were planning. We should probably just move about. on. Cause I feel like I could just go on and on and on about all the things. That yeah. So basically like they're going to become, intro- they're going to be introduced to things despite our best, our best work at protecting our kids early. So have conversations early. Yeah. And, um, it's probably earlier than we think we need to. Yeah. Which is the crazy thing about it all. I think it is for me. Wow. Big topic there. Um, <clears throat> do we have time for another one? We've done. Sure. Let's just do. Is there like a kind of a fun one? Well, or? I thought all these were pretty <laughs> quickly. 
Um. Whoa, what do you... <laughs> <laughs> okay, how, how do you get out of the poor me mindset when you feel like you're doing 100% of the work? Hmm. Maybe, is that like in the context of a marriage or just like the world? Like you're doing 100% yeah. of the work in, <laughs> in the world? For the whole world. I'm assuming it's in the context of marriage. Um, yeah. I mean... I guess it could be in the context of anything. It could be like with a coworker. It could be. Yeah. Like in, at your church or. Yeah. The homeschool co-op. Yeah. I mean, this person put air quotes around the poor me mindset. And I like to change that to just the victim mindset. Um, Cause I think it just clarifies it to what it is. Um, if you feel you are doing a hundred percent of the work, then the good news is, is you're wrong. So I'd start there. Uh, no one's doing a hundred percent of the work very, very few people. I mean, if, if your spouse is laying there and they have to be taken and you have to change their bedpans and like take care of them like that, they're still struggling to like be alive and they're fighting that way. And like, yeah, they're putting the work in, they're putting work in. Yeah. Everyone is always putting work in. So just, um, we can, I think, address ourselves first if we feel like we're doing 100% of the work and just remind ourselves that that's a faulty mindset. It's not true. And so what is our spouse doing? What are our kids doing that we aren't seeing and maybe start having a little bit of appreciation for what they're doing? Because I would say this, if we feel like I'm doing 100% of the work, then that means that we are not in a thankful spirit. We aren't appreciating anything the other person's doing. And they're going to be bitter and resentful because they don't feel like they're appreciated at all. And so that makes them not want to do any extra because what they're already doing is not being appreciated. And so that's not a real motivational cycle to live in where you're feeling drained and most likely they're feeling drained and, and resentful too. Yeah. I mean, I think that <laughs> it like stinks. It's it really does tough. stink. Yeah. And I, it's wow. Katie, you saying that, I don't know. It's, um, cause I think of that scenario that you, you know, if, if you've got a spouse, that's just, they're not capable of getting out of bed. And like you said, you're changing bedpans and you're, or you're yeah, exactly, you're changing diapers, whatever it is for your spouse. That's, that's one way to look at it, but it's a lot easier, I think, to have sympathy if you look at it that way, because you're mm -hmm. like, well, man, this person's ill or they're whatever, they're on their deathbed. They can't, they, they can't do much more. And they're just working, like you said, to stay alive. Um, where it might become more challenging is if you feel like your spouse is physically capable of doing something that they're not currently doing. And maybe they, they don't have a job. Maybe your husband doesn't have a job. He's not providing financially. He's not trying to get a job. He's not... Like whatever the scenario is that you come up in that situation, whether it's real or whether it's not real, um, you can come up with a scenario that's a lot easier to feel like you are actually doing 100% of the work because of their capability to do more, not because of what they're actually doing or not uh, doing, but you know that they're capable of doing so much more. And I think that with that one, like you said, there, there still is an element of work that's going into existing even for the the deadbeat spouse, so to speak, that, um, is just a drain on the home and society and, and all things in life. Um, because be, there is a beauty in life and there is a beauty in being, being alive. And the fact that, that person is still living is actually, is actually work. It is work to stay alive, even in those circumstances. Yeah. So I would say this too. 
I'm not, I'm not pointing the finger at you. I think we've all felt this way. It's really easy to feel this way in a marriage. At some point in your marriage, we feel like I'm, I'm doing the heavy lifting here and they aren't putting in as much work as I'm putting in. And we get our little measuring stick and sure enough, they're down below the line where they're supposed to be working. And like, it's easy to feel that way. Even in a good, healthy marriage, it could, you could just have had a really hard day and, I, I'll snap at Elisha and just be like, I just have been working my face off or or I'll like tell him to do like, I need you to do this and this and this and this. Like I get like the ugly stepmother, I feel like, where it's just like, how dare you relax for five minutes without having done the task list of 300 other things to do? Like that's that's my version of saying you haven't done enough well that's so crazy about the attitude just so pathetic katie because uh, it can come in the like within the time frame of five minutes like you it might you i don't think you have that overarching mindset towards me oh no and and i don't have it towards you and yet it can arise in like a minute yeah it it can he can do it towards me it just it you could it just is all subjective and i think that's the tricky thing is it's subjective as to what you've done because you don't really fully know what the other person has done, where they're at mentally, where they're at physically, and what what they're putting in. You know what I mean? Like I could just be like sitting around all day and it looks like my house is a wreck and I did nothing and I didn't homeschool the kids and we're eating pizza and Elisha can look at me and be like, wow, my wife is a lazy bum. You know, where I could be feeling really bad or I could be struggling mentally or, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I mean, you said it's all subjective and it's like one of the worst things you can do, I feel like, is try to make it then objective. It's like, okay, well then here, yeah. this, we're going to, we're going to make this, like we're going to put it in writing. This is your, these are your tasks. These are my tasks. Because of course, a relationship is so much more than a task list or a duty list. Uh, there's an emotional aspect to it. There's the relational yeah. aspect to it. There's a spiritual aspect to it. And try to quantify those things. I actually, th- when you brought up that emotional aspect to it, a mental aspect to it, I listened to a book and they were saying how carrying the mental burden of what needs to be done is actually like potentially up to 50% of the task which I thought was of the burden of the task. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, like even like tonight, okay, I was I was getting on Elisha because he was like in his head for like the last two hours. But it's like you, it wasn't just like charging up the cameras and making sure everything was working. You have the mental burden of making sure that the podcast goes out. And that's a burden that I don't even see. It's totally separate from the actual physical doing everything. I you mean, know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, thanks for trying to give me a little excuse for my poor attitude but ultimately i was kind of being grumpy and a little detached from the rest of the family for the last two hours basically before the kids went to bed as i kind of you know hustled around trying to get everything ready i freaking hate technology too and so like that always puts me in a bad mood is working with technology and we we both know that we've had some technical challenges with the podcast (laughs) the last few weeks and those kept the end that didn't seem to be they didn't seem to be resolved like an hour ago um, anyways, I was being a, I was being a stinky pop, stinker pop, stinker pop. Yeah, I was, I was, <laughs> there was nothing justifiable about my attitude. Well, no, that's not what I was bringing up. You know, like they were saying like in the, this was a secular book, but to give another example, they were saying often, even with both spouses working outside the home and doing like the same amount of jobs, the woman often just 
because she does, is carrying the mental burden of the home and making sure the home is managed on top of her job. And again, this was a secular book that did not have like a biblical perspective on roles. And so they were saying the woman was getting bent out of shape even when the husband was helping out with household chores. He wasn't carrying the mental burden of making Mm -hmm. sure groceries are there, making sure things are clean, making sure kids get to appointments on time. And so she was feeling like she's doing so much more of the work and he's like, hey, I'm helping out. What's the big deal? Yeah. So oh, I man. think there's these things like it's just it's not as easy as we all think it is. That's funny because that's definitely happened many times in our in our relationship where I think you are carrying you're you're thinking through mentally and emotionally and like logistically what needs to go into something far before it happens. And I just will show up and I'll do the thing. Uh, that you asked me to help with and you'll still be disappointed and frazzled and vice versa. I think I've even done that with this podcast. I was going like, to say with the podcast, I just come out here and record. Like I have zero mental burden all week and Elisha's handling like 20 million logistics. And you'll come out carefree, like in a good mood, ready. You're like, I'm so excited. I've got my notes. I've been researching. <laughs> I'm just kind of like, well, good for you. Like I've been out here. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I would say. So Basically, I again, if this is a marriage relationship, even if it's not it, but I'm going to assume it's a marriage relationship, talk about it. Don't don't wallow in self-pity and poor me. Be really clear on, hey, what areas do you want help in? Because your spouse probably isn't carrying the mental burden of those problems. So go to them in a gracious and loving and in a way where you're not bitter, okay? Try to work out the bitterness before you talk about it. Because when you talk about it when you're bitter... Ask me how I know. It does not go well. <laughs> okay. So I would just say, going to him and be like, hey, I feel, I know you do a ton of stuff. I don't see all the stuff that you do at your job and at your work. And I do a ton of stuff here you don't see all the time. But these things are really weighing on me. And I know you're busy. But if there's any way you could help me out with these tasks when you come home, instead of just sitting on, maybe don't say instead of just sitting on the couch, you know, maybe if you could help me with these things before relaxing, that would just mean the world to me and just lift a big burden off my shoulders. You know, yeah, okay. They want to be the hero. They want to help you out. It's, we often don't have the roadmap to our spouse's burdens as much as, we wish. Yeah. Or as much as we think that the other per- person should like, yeah. Like, I'll doesn't like, he see all these yeah. things that need to be done? No, he doesn't. And that's okay <laughs> because potentially you don't see all the things that are weighing on him and you don't know why he's in a funk and not talking to you and withdrawn. And we want our spouses to communicate with us in that moment. Right? So I just have a conversation about it. I'm not saying that you should go around feeling this way because your feeling is real. Your feeling of feeling like, ah, like I'm doing all the work. That's a real feeling. And and those feelings lead to bitterness unless you deal with them. Yeah. So it's in your spouse's best interest and your best interest to go to them and to explain how you're feeling, uh, but don't necessarily make them the villain and say, you don't do this and you don't do this. Maybe just explain what you would like to be done to resolve the issue. And if, if they don't think it's a big deal, then... I would have a courageous conversation. Courageous conversation. Yeah, we have. Don't we have a podcast on that? I think we do. We have an IGTV on it, and then they took away the IGTV, and now I'm like, now oh. what? So, is it not on our Instagram? I don't know. 
Okay. It pops up every once in a while. Yeah, I was going to say, I think I've randomly seen it. Yeah, we should probably download that and put it on YouTube. Next time it pops up. Yeah, next time it pops up. Uh, So anyways, I don't want to negate what you're feeling because I'm just saying it's a good thing to resolve. Like, like resolve it from an issue of you and your spouse are on the same team. You're pulling for the same goal. And have that in your mindset when you go to address this. If you just beat them on the head with a stick and tell them how lazy and lame they are and how you're hauling their meat all around the park. (laughs) I don't know. Their their body all around the park. Then, I mean, think through that. How's that going to go over? Actually, that might be a... I would be so confused if you told me that, <laughs> that it might actually work. Be like, okay, I'm listening now. Actually, okay. like, I, oh my word! <laughs> oh my word! Like they're gonna hate you, and they're not gonna want to do anything for you, and they're probably gonna do less than what they're doing before. So it's not gonna be a great motivational speech. So again, go back to that tact, and like, if you want. The end goal. Begin with the end in mind. Sometimes it feels real good to vent our feelings. Mm. Uh, But in marriage, it usually bites us in the foot when we do that. Isn't that the truth? And it also feels good, though, to stuff them down if you're a stuffer and feel like you have all this ammunition against your spouse. Oh, yeah. And that's not good either. It's not. Yeah. When you're... Oh, this is just, can speak to I've that. done this so much. Yeah, I'm a <laughs> stuffer. Just, you don't do it actually yeah, that much and anymore. It's like when you are seeking vindication over resolution, then that's when it yeah. usually doesn't go well. Regardless of, of how you communicate it, whether you yeah. don't communicate or yeah. whether you blow up. It's yeah. just... Or even va- if you're even seeking validation over resolution, it doesn't go well. Like, I think... Yeah, he had to repeat it twice for me to actually hear what he said. <laughs> I didn't... I misunderstood you the first time. But yeah. Yeah. Well, I think we can probably call that good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We have talked about, I mean, I don't want to open another question because it's going to be a whole can of worms. Yeah. What the heck? I feel like we could have answered these in such a simpler way. <laughs> <laughs> nope. We're going to go on a bunch of rabbit trails tonight that we're probably going to regret when we listen back to this. That's why I don't listen back to the podcast, to be honest. Yeah. That website. I, I don't know. want to know what I said. <laughs> Folks, thank you so much for listening. We're going to call it a night, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.